Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalese here. And I was just thinking, Christo, we actually haven't heard from good old JT in a while. We've been discussing the war in Ukraine, the convoy, just all of these calamities. And I just thought, you know what? We need Justin to have a little more time in our show. Wouldn't you know it? He's coming back with a, a new plan that is, I think... A threat to democracy and backdoor socialism, I believe, is what it's being called. Is, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, well, we have some big news. We have we'll be we'll be talking about the 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 NDP liberal uh, supply and confidence deal. Um, you know, Justin Trudeau, I think, is happy because it keeps him as prime minister. Pretty much treating this as a as a majority length term, um, but I wouldn't necessarily say he's the savior of democracy. <laughs> Yeah, so let's get into it. So basically, if you've obviously heard, this was something that we've talked about before, especially during our election coverage, Christo. It's not a coalition. That is something that has to be made clear. So what exactly is a supply and confidence uh, motion and what does it mean? Well, yeah, so, you know, there's a few types of government you can get in Canada. You know, a common one is a majority government where one party has over half the seats, usually without half the vote because their system's broken (laughs) and busted. But like that party can basically govern as it wants for four or five years, whatever. Then you have a traditional minority parliament where the, the sitting government doesn't really have a deal with any one opposition party in a formal sense. That's what we've had for the last few years in Canada. Uh, and, uh, you know, where where Justin Trudeau has been sort of close to a majority, but hasn't been quite there. Like, mm-hmm. that's what happened in 2019. And so he's always been able to sort of go to either the NDP or conservatives or block on any one issue and get, you know, his votes plus one other party to pass legislation. And so you're just kind of governing on your own. There is also a coalition uh, type government, but we've never really seen that in Canadian history, not meaningfully anyway. Now, mm-hmm. what makes it a coalition is a formal cooperation between one or more, between two or more parties, where those parties not only agree to support one another for the, the you know the run of that of that legislature or parliament, but actually share in the power, uh, and so that usually entails in most countries that say a liberal government would form a co- a liberal the liberal party would form a coalition with the NDP and that would entail say the NDP getting two or three or four seats in the liberal cabinet likely still you know a small percentage um, but they would actually become a formal part of the government yeah uh, this is something we've seen at times in Canadian history where uh, either officially or unofficially uh, the NDP or another third party will go to one of the two major parties and make a deal. Mm-hmm. And what that deal basically says is if you give us a set number of things, whether it's a policy or an item line in the budget or or what have you, or and or you don't do certain things, we will agree to support you for as long as you keep up your end of the bargain. Yeah. It's called supply and confidence. So it's similar to what happened in the B.C government before the last election if you recall the uh the uh bc ndp and the bc greens to remove the bc liberals from power basically formed a deal uh where the greens would get no seats in cabinet but uh in exchange for things like a referendum on electoral reform and other policies they would uh agree to give their confidence to the ndp which allowed horgan to become premier Right. Yeah. Um, this case is a bit different, of course, because the liberals uh, are the biggest party um, and you know probably could have continued to govern without this deal, at least for another couple of years. But that's basically the premise here. Yeah. There have been things like this with the NDP and the liberals before where they've made these sort of supply and confidence motions uh, and achieved some pretty uh, important policies. It's also happened provincially at times. Uh, you know, I believe I believe there was a supply and confidence deal between the Ontario Liberals and the Ontario NDP in the 1980s, mm. uh, which, you know, ended a basically a two generation streak of PC government. Here well, in that, Ontario. That's an so, interesting. Yeah. yeah. We'll start with that. Others have pointed out that if the uh, 
NDP can do this federally, is there perhaps some type of desire to do this provincially here in Ontario? We have an election coming up and Doug Ford has, you know, his stranglehold. We haven't, well, maybe we'll look at some polling numbers, but do you think that this agreement may be considering what the NDP is, how they are, you know, this one amalgam could push them in the direction of maybe doing this uh, provincially to take down Ford? It's harder to say. A few yeah. things are different. One, the NDP is a united party. The liberals aren't, mm. right? And the Ontario liberals and, and and federal liberals are generally pretty close. Like it depends on the leaders and whatnot. But like you know, they're 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 generally fairly in line with one another. And a lot of their activists are the same and and, and things like that. But they're not they're not linked parties. Another factor is that this was done after an election and mm. done mostly in private, right? Yeah. I mean, they tried to do it, if you recall, uh, they tried to do this shortly after the last election and then for whatever reason, the deal just, it didn't pan out. Yeah. Uh, and so they came back to the table, I guess, and tried again and it, and it did. Um, so uh, it was easier to get a real sense of what the parliament looked like, right? It's hard right now because with first past the post, it can be difficult to really strate- strategize how you actually... Uh, get things done. And then two, you don't know what the next parliament's going to look like. Your provincial parliament's going to look like here in Ontario. Just you have no, you have no idea. Uh, another factor has to be then um, the the motivations of each party historically as well. And so one factor is that uh, the in this case, it doesn't really change the broad historical trend. I know the NDP came relatively close to governing in... Um, you know, or becoming one of the two major parties in 2011. But in general, um, the NDP has always been a third party federally, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The liberals have almost always been a one of the two big parties federally. So it doesn't really change a whole lot um, in the um, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. In um, how to in, in in the balance of power I of get the it. party. It's an easier sell, the, really, yeah. than making the NDP kind it, of the the primary party yeah. here in Ontario and yeah. making this relationship. I mean, I, the I, liberals, I, I think, would be reluctant. For instance, in a hypothetical where Jagmeet had the had the the most seats to to really legitimize the NDP in that way, because it it could change the entire balance of not just this parliament, but all parliaments going forward. So the Ontario Liberals might say to themselves, if we make any sort of deal now, uh, it's probably going to be at a position of weakness because while you know in some polls we do poll better than the NDP right now, um, mm-hmm. we have way less seats. Like we're, yeah. we're, we're significantly smaller. Uh, you know, we don't even have party status. Uh, you know, uh, our leader, our leader, uh, is like brand new. I don't know. Del Duca doesn't have a seat in the legislature right now. Mm-hmm. I don't believe, does he? I don't think. I don't he think He used so. to be, obviously, but like, you know, like they have they have a lot of issues. And I think that the Ontario Liberals would be reluctant to make a deal, which would mark them as, um, as a junior partner. Yeah. It's also hard to say right now because maybe maybe you are willing to make a deal, but who knows what happens? Maybe the NDP is the bigger party. Maybe the Liberals are the bigger party. Um, another factor as well could be um, that right before an election, it's it's hard to pull off. So I I don't think you're going to see pre-election any formal deal between the Liberals and the NDP. What you might see, however, this could include the Greens as well, uh, is gesturing to the openness of doing it. Mm. That this is probably, we haven't seen polling yet, but I'm guessing this deal is going to be popular with a lot of NDP and liberal voters. I, that's my instinct. Yeah. Not necessarily universally, but I think a lot of people are going to be happy with the deal. And so um, I, I do think that uh, Del Duca and Horwath and probably Shriner as well are going to look at this and say, hey, like, you know, this is this is pretty good. Uh, I like, you know, this, this could be good politically for us. So why don't we say, you know, we can't make any commitments right now because we don't know what parliament's going to look like, but you know, I'm open to making a deal if it, you know, brings uh positive change to Ontarians and it gets rid of this destructive government. And I think that's a good message to push 
if you're one of the non-Ford parties. Yeah, but if we look um, like traditionally in Ontario, what was one of the staples of the Liberals' campaigning was trying to undercut the NDP as being mm-hmm. something radically different. So even yeah. if this idea was being promoted, I don't even know how Del Duca and the Ontario Liberals gesture towards oh, this. Oh, it's politics though, man. Like, don't for like, Jill, you know, like we t- try to focus on Kamala Harris called Joe Biden like a segregationist, yeah. right? <laughs> And then, yeah, and then was his point. VP, yeah. right? And then, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, that's politics, man. Hillary Clinton said terrible things about Barack Obama and then became basically the the most powerful person in his <laughs> in his administration. And in Canada, look, 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 let's be clear. The NDP and, and the Liberals have both trashed one another federally. The Liberals saying the NDP are too radical or they're not serious or their plans are, are dumb. <laughs> and then the NDP saying the Liberals... Uh, you know, uh, hate, don't want regular Canadians to do well and, uh, you know, are, are, are lying to indigenous people. And I think the, that's true, but that that's politics, right? Yeah. And I think that if the parties felt that it served their short and long-term interests, they would consider making a deal. And again, we do have a historical example of this where the NDP and liberals in Ontario did make a deal in the 1980s that put a liberal government into power and then led almost immediately after to an NDP government actually so Mm, interesting so that's that's some food for thought here provincially but let's like take although it should be said historically and this is one reason why the liberals the larger party might want to do it is that in most countries most of the time the junior party in a coalition gets the short end of the stick like Mm. Whether it's the Lib Dems in Britain who joined with the Tories to throw out the long-running Labour government, and then afterwards the Tories sort of went on to form their own like majority, and 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 the Lib Dems kind of got pushed to the wayside, or even in BC where the BC Greens made that deal with the NDP, uh, and then you know uh, they didn't really get crushed; they sort of stayed what they were, but they lost all of their power in the next election. Uh, You can look even to other examples where. The uh, NDP liberal cooperation in the 1960s, uh, you know, didn't lead to an NDP breakthrough federally, uh, but it did lead to a liberal majority in 1968 under Trudeau. And then Trudeau made a kind of uh, deal with the NDP in 1972 after he lost his majority. Two years later, you know, keeping many of his promises to the NDP, but two years later was able to return to majority and the NDP lost a hefty amount of seats in the process. And Mm. so that is something to be wary of. Although I think Singh has uh, taken the correct tone, which is that, and and, and this is also, he's politicking, of course, saying that like, look, maybe this will help the liberals in the next election. But like, if our goal is to help people, then I think we've done, you know, something that can help people. Yeah, let's let's play that clip now just yeah. to get a sense of yeah. what Singh said of this and then maybe also a little bit of response of what we heard from Trudeau today. Well, we also know that there's really meaningful things that people need right now. They've asked us to work together to deliver that help. And so we've used our power to get help for people. And some of the programs that we want to put in place, the help that we need for people, is going to take some time. And so we need time to make sure we deliver. And we want a blueprint or an outline of exactly what we're going to do for folks. And we want to be able to hold the Liberals to account by pointing to the agreement saying, you've committed to this, now let's get it done. When Parliament doesn't work properly, progress stalls on the important and urgent issues Canadians expect solutions to. This agreement is about focusing on what we agree on instead of what we disagree on. On what unites us instead of on what divides us. Every piece of legislation will continue to get the scrutiny it merits. Committees will continue to do their essential work. And members of Parliament will continue representing their constituents and holding the government to account. So it's really interesting. It definitely doesn't feed the narrative that, especially this being pushed by the conservatives, that this is some cooperative force. These are two forces coming together. Like you can just, you can get a sense, especially from saying that this is just about helping people. He's, he's doing his politicking perhaps. It doesn't really matter if yeah. the NDP gets. Of course Singh cares the, about that, right? Yeah, and like, yeah, but like, but I think he, but I think the NDP, look, and like, I, I'm a partisan, but you know, like the NDP, I think, is there are more voices in the NDP than in the other major parties that would actually in their heart say, I would sacrifice a bit of electoralism 
to actually get something we want. Yeah. And I think that there are people like that in every party, but I think there's probably more people like that in the NDP than in the liberals or, or the conservatives. That's just, that's my, my Man, instinct. Uh, but but Kristen, it's the, just, I, I'm, I'm shaking my head a bit because what was one of the biggest issues in the last federal campaign? Trying to get people to understand the good things that the NDP pressured the liberals yeah. to do during yeah. this time of crisis that literally save lives and translating that into a narrative. I don't know. I kind of feel like this might have been more of an opportunity. Maybe we're just starting and we'll see it in yeah. the, the coming days and, and months and years. But I think this needs to be trumpeted more loudly that the NDP is pushing the liberals in the right direction. Maybe he'll say that, you know, the second some of these promises actually come through in some capacity. But when I was hearing him say that, I just I it brought me back to our election coverage where people just weren't aware that we wouldn't have the CERB that we did if it wasn't yeah. for the NDP. And that's, you know, that's a big that pushes things yeah. in a certain direction. So I don't know. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think that's a good point. But I think the deal could be hypothetically one of the things that you can point to. Yeah. Like the CERB happened and like the NDP played a role, but like a lot of that discussion happened in parliament behind the scenes. And then at the end of the day, it's still Justin Trudeau and or a cabinet minister making the announcement and getting all of the credit. In this case, that's still going to happen. Like if dental care gets done, there's going to be a federal minister of health or whatever who gets to like tout it. And that person's going to get the spotlight Right. You, yeah, and, yeah. And all of that. But the the fact of the matter is that the NDP will probably get more credit and will be able to point to that more in this case. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a possibility. Now, there's still a, a risk that people won't see that happening, although I think that this deal has gotten quite a bit of attention. Like it really broke through the news cycle. Yeah. And so I do think a lot of people uh, have seen it. And, and and sort of know what it means and it's in writing and like you can you can go to it and 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 really see like this is what they're trying to get um and there, of course there's a risk that it could hurt you although it could give you ammunition in the next election if the liberals do break some promises it could also give you ammunition to say because the liberals are going to campaign for a majority to say that you know what got dental care done what got pharmacare done what got x y and z done was a minority government, you yeah. know, so at the very least, the NDP, you got to campaign on that. Um, and I don't know, I think maybe it puts Singh in a good position. It also puts him in a position to maybe criti criticize Trudeau um, more with with more credibility mm. among the kind of former the liberal voters you want to get. That's so, you know, it, yeah. it, if he says something like, look, I've worked with Justin Trudeau, the proof is in the pudding. I went to him and we got a deal done. Um, and so know it when I say that if I could work with this man, I would work with this man, but he has been unable to work with me on taxing the rich or, or, yeah. or what have you, right? On any, uh, the next policy that you want to run on, provided you actually get through the way that, you know, is being yeah. presented yeah. right like, now, he, he can be in that position and say like, listen, yeah. I've, I've been trying to do this. I, I went through all of the most pragmatic ways yeah. that, you, that every neoliberal would allow you know something yeah. like this is very consumable i think for the uh trudeau base like this is very much yeah. okay these are the rules we're following them let's push a little bit to progressivism in the way that's okay and if that doesn't happen i think you know like we said uh singh could be in a position to criticize and be seen as a little more credible like, we talked about this before let's go into don't optics. forget singh, yeah. is, singh is popular right and yeah. like a a lot of like and, and if you and if and, and, and he's generally the only leader of the federal leaders that's above like negatives right sometimes yeah. only a little sometimes by a decent bit but then if you remove conservative and ppc people he's probably incredibly popular yeah i could see them and so that means a lot of liberal voters like Singh. and so there's i think a general desire among most normie ndp and liberal voters to see cooperation between those parties. Mm -hmm. Like the hardcore ideologues, maybe not the party, the party insiders, maybe not. But like, I think regular, like, you know, I pay attention to politics. I vote NDP or I vote liberal, but you know, I like the other guys too. I think in, in those sorts of cases, like I, I don't, I don't <laughs> think there's like a lot of like animosity. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah like, no, I, I could see this as a big win for, like you said, just like a normie liberal, maybe yeah. that is much more likely to vote NDP than 
would conservative, which I think is maybe yeah. even a rare, at least that's what they say to themselves, right? Like, I do think this, op- the optics of this really do make those voters feel good. This is a step in the right direction. You know, the conservatives yeah. are imploding. They don't even have a leader. Who's that crazy, weird looking guy that might be leader that's saying yeah. wild shit? Like, okay, these two people yeah. we know. They're calling backdoor uh, socialism. Yeah. Did you see the, did you see the, I just, I got to read this. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, go ahead. Go they ahead. call the backdoor socialism. One, this deal is not socialist, unfortunate as it is, yeah. but they called it backdoor socialism. So a lot of people, you know, went, went to a dirty place in their mind and instantly <laughs> thought about uh, it being something pornographic, mm-hmm, but the Beaverton that. had a great headline here with this conservatives warn liberal NDP deal is backdoor socialism, hand job, democracy, and salad tossing representation. Um, <laughs> So yeah, the Beaverton. Yeah, yeah, the Beaverton. So like we like we should be clear, like because like the the conservatives are lying about this. They're 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 fucking lying, right? Like yeah. you don't have to support this deal. Although a lot of people on the left don't support the deal because it's not ambitious enough. Because uh, the NDP maybe didn't get enough for the length of time. Mm. Like maybe the what the NDP got was decent in some cases. People will say. But you're giving them four budgets, right? Yeah. For four budgets, because that's effectively four years, right? Like you're giving them three or four years of government, basically. And so if you're going to give them four budgets, maybe you should have gotten more. And there's maybe the, you should have like, it, we'll talk a bit about this, but like the language in some places is far too wishy-washy. Maybe you want more commitments, more uh, uh, ambitious Stronger commitments language, and more concrete yeah. uh commitments all of that's fair but to call the deal undemocratic is just a bullshit lie like the way it works in our country is you um you know we elect mps to parliament um you know um and those mps give confidence to the government right they in effect allow a person to become prime minister by convention it's usually the person of the largest party but even if we didn't have political parties what could happen in a sense is somebody could go to parliament and that person who was in that room of the 338 independent mps could say to themselves i have the ability to form a government i can command half the house or more to support me and some of those people will join my cabinet uh, then that person would become prime minister or premier, depending on the jurisdiction. Um, and so in this case, it's perfectly legitimate for any two parties, pr- providing they can garner the confidence of the House or two or more parties, to say we're forming a deal, whether it's a coalition or a supply and confidence deal, to keep one in, to keep the current government in power. Yeah. And it's more legitimate than any government we've had in many ways in our lifetimes, Andy. Like, (laughs) if you think about this, going back to when I was born in 87. And so if you look um, in uh, any any federal government since 1987, if you go to the 1988 federal election in Canada, for example, just like that was the second Mulroney victory, that election Mulroney won a majority. And so he could govern effectively as an autocrat for Mm -hmm. five, four or five years. Um, with about 43% of the vote. And then in 93, it was a liberal majority with 41%. 97, liberal majority, 38%. And Chris, th- what, what yeah. do you say about Canadian majorities? Because yeah. that's important. Maj- yeah, yeah, they're like they're like five-year dictatorships in some ways, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Amongst the Western yeah. world, right? Yeah, they're, it's- the ability, yeah, the party discipline, like, it, like unlike in, in Britain and in Australia, which are first past, Australia has a mixed system, but it's, still somewhat first past the post in some ways but australia um you know has a bit of proportionality and the and the parties in both britain and and in in um australia are way more um uh combative within yeah. themselves they always, uh, we, we saw yeah. that obviously yeah. <laughs> a, a, a canadian uh premier or prime minister with a majority is incredibly powerful because the party discipline is so strong and because the, the Senate has limited power, you know, so it's like it, you look at you know, Joe Biden, he's like, you could say, oh, he won, he won, he's the president and they won the House and they won the Senate. But it's like, yeah, but then there's like all these weird Democrats that don't fucking listen. <laughs> and then there's there's like the filibuster, which is a thing that doesn't really exist in Canada for almost any piece of legislation. It's just simple majority. You know, there's a Senate technically, but like it, it usually just rubber stamps most legislation, yeah. uh, you know, all of that, right? Um, and so if you look at like 2000, Chrétien, majority, 
41% effectively. Liberal minority in 2004, uh, conservative minorities in uh, 06, 08, and 11, but they never really formed a true kind of like coalition, right? They, mm -hmm. they a true one. And so when you really consider all of that, like this, this government representing, if you add up the seats in parliament, it represents, I think, about... Um, uh, almost 200 seats. The Liberals represent about 160, the NDP about 25. So that's about 185 seats. That's a healthy number, well over the majority of the House. And critically, if you add up the voting percentages, it's just over 50%. The wow. Liberals got about 32, 33. The NDP got about 17, 18 last time. It's, about, it's just over 50%. And so if you want to see this as a government, it's not really, it's still a Liberal government with... NDP support, it is um, quite um, representative in that sense. Yeah, it's very democratic. Um, and, it's it's really yeah. all, the, all of those voters for each party are finally getting some type of representation in a way that, as you illustrated, we yeah. haven't really seen for you know, 30 years, 40 years. And right? I would almost wonder if you polled green voters on this. Yeah. And I know they're not, there's not very many green voters, but if you polled them on this, I would likely think that they would feel the same way. They would largely be in support of this. Maybe that a little less so because they're not uh, seemingly included. Uh, but the, the the reality is I think this deal would be popular. And we talked about this um, less in 2021 where people were just more cynical. But in 2019, by far the most popular outcome uh, for Canadians when they were polled was the Liberals uh, and the NDP cooperating in a minority parliament situation after the election, which is sort of what happened here if only you know, delayed, uh, you know, yeah. uh, for <laughs> since the last election. But that's effectively what happened. There was a minority government and you have liberal NDP cooperation. And I think um, most Canadians will be at least fine with that. Conservatives are losing their mind right now, but this is perfectly legitimate. It's certainly more legitimate than one party with like 35 to 40 percent of the vote mm -hmm. somehow because of the, the way the votes fell getting absolute power for five years. Yeah. This is way more legitimate than that. Way more legitimate and representative than um, than any government I think in Canada since probably 1984, where Mulroney actually I think did win a, a, like a real deal majority, like mm. he actually won more than 50 percent of the vote. And so at that point, that was a legitimate majority, yeah. probably the most legitimate government since right? then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he won 50.03 percent of the vote in 1984. Uh, that was, you know, a true majority. Of course, he got way more seats than just over 50 uh, percent. Uh, he got like, you know, 200 seats. But like the reality is that um, this government is is representative. Conservatives yeah, yeah. can cry all they want about it. They could be mad at some parts of the deal. They could be mad that they feel that this won't represent their policies. And that's fair, I suppose. But to call it a power grab is ridiculous. Yeah, and I think next week and maybe the week after we'll see how the polling uh, shakes out on this. But it does seem like this is being seen generally as a positive mood. Because like you said, it is a more representative government. Just practically more people who they voted for, their MPs will be represented at government. So it's just it just makes more sense if that matters to you. And as you said beforehand, this seems to be a good look for Justin. He gets to seem to be a little more uh, progressive while also ensuring that many budgets. And I do think, we, we haven't talked about it yet, I do think this will reinforce the narrative that I believe Singh and the NDP are going for, that Singh will no longer be that new face and that, you know, the young new party representative, but is getting more into that elder statesman consideration. He's so well-liked. He is making moves like this. I, you know, I, I, I wonder how the narratives will be pushed the next time there is, if this shakes out and there isn't, you know, those no surprises, how this yeah. will shake out in 2025, if he will, if that'll be the NDP narrative, because I, I have trouble seeing any other party suggesting that he isn't one now that has great experience, that has worked together with governments while still and we'll, that this is the important part, perhaps, while still remaining true to those ideals of progressivism. So why don't we 
before we go even further into it, because this has been kind of an amalgam of some of the questions on uh, the Discord there. If you want to join our little community, patreon.com slash Canada, just a buck a month and you can ask us questions. Some amazingly smart people there. Uh, so the idea is the biggest concern, I guess, that we're getting from the left on our, our Discord is pointing to what happened and is happening in BC. That when these sort of arrangements happen, when the principle of purpose of the NDP, of what they represent, has to make deals with liberals and with the Liberal Party, that purity, a little, so to speak, gets sullied. It's no longer as principled of what it, you know, what the NDP is standing for, what they're looking for. And there's a possibility that this will push the NDP more center than it already is. And I think you and I can agree there are many policies that Singh has presented that are absolutely not nearly as progressive as as they need to be to make changes. So what about that fear that this will just keep pushing that good idea of making bold progressive changes because we fucking need it you know the, the stuff that Nikki Ashton is trying to do but now wait a second it's it's working with the liberal party will the NDP become more and more center what do you think I mean, I don't know if this is going to really change anything in a, a major ideological sense. I think this is partially a realization of like, you know, this you're you're still dealing with a liberal government and you're also dealing with a liberal government that wants stability. Like that's what they get out of the deal. They can effectively know that, you know, again, barring a break of the breakdown or what have you, that they could, you know, they can govern for the full five years, full four years. Um that's something that wasn't guaranteed to them when they had a minority. But don't forget mm -hmm. that the liberals have uh, a very big minority. We were still in the situation where you would need to block the NDP and conservatives to all agree simultaneously on an issue to sort of like beat the government. Because yeah. like, you know, any two of those parties added up doesn't equal the liberal vote. This isn't a situation where the NDP is going to the liberals who say are second in seats. Let's say they had three seats less than the conservatives, right? And think they, mm. they, they, they literally need the NDP to be in power or even a scenario where the liberals had to say five seats more than the conservatives and they, you know, they, they couldn't rely vote to vote. They always, they'd always be worried about, you know, people not showing up or, 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 you know, not having the votes they need. Uh, now they uh, have that stability. In this case, the NDP didn't have a whole bunch of cards. I don't, I, I, I don't think. Yeah. Um, okay. My view is that I don't think this changes much ideologically. Mm. I, I, I really, I, I don't think so. Um, there are certainly some issues with the deal. I think a lot of people said there needs to be more urgency on climate. Um, you know, if this is really a deal to like help Canadians and you're going to basically go on for years, the climate provisions in this are far too, again, far too wishy-washy and far too limited. Uh, if we really are dealing with a climate emergency, uh, you know, we don't have till 20, the 2025 election to really run again on a, you know, uh, a Green New Deal or or what have you kind of get kind of get to get working now. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, there's uh, there are legitimate criticisms of the dental care plan and the pharma care plan, both. in are they actually going to be truly universal? Are they actually going to get done? But I'm not so much worried about the ideology of it all necessarily, um, you know, I, I, I think that this is probably the best they could get from yeah. this deal. And you don't like know 100%. The seat, the, the seat totals really do play out the math here more than anything else. You know, if, if the NDP, like you said, uh, or sorry, if the liberals were just, a, you know, a couple seats out of minority status, then, yeah, the, the NDP could really push a lot of these uh, these issues. But I think right now, like you said, why would they? They wouldn't have the purchase to do that. Like, how else yeah. would they, they get anything yeah. There's a few, they yeah, did. well, exactly. And we don't, and to be fair, we don't know what they asked for necessarily. That's a good point. Yeah. Like maybe we'll find out at some point in like the history books or maybe seeing an interview or Trudeau in an interview or like somebody might, might, might say, we might get a leak about, well, here's what the NDP's initial offer was, or here's what the liberals initial offer was, or here's what the counter proposals were. Because I think there might be a sense that, 
you know, the NDP didn't get enough. Where, where's electoral reform? Well, we don't know if they, if they, if they didn't ask for it. They might have fought really hard for electoral reform, and it just wasn't there, right? Yeah. yeah. Like we don't know, and so it's sort of like in bargaining, collective bargaining. You know, you you, you don't always really, if you're not at the table, it's hard to get a sense sometimes of where the deal actually came from versus what you have when you actually see you know, the, 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 the tentative contract in front of you. Uh, and, and I think this is maybe one of those examples. So, uh, I'm not so much concerned about the broad ideology. I mean, okay. look, the NDP could have ran on a, uh, a much more ambitious left platform last time and say they got the same result, no better, no worst. Uh, and the parliament was the same. I don't think that would have necessarily led to a better deal here you would have still gotten something similar in terms of pharmacare and dental care. I don't mm-hmm. think that, uh, you know, Singh running a little bit more to the left uh, in 2021 would have uh, made this deal any stronger or weaker. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if this clears the way for Trudeau not to run in the next federal election. Like if this is enough time for the Liberal Party, because like you said, this does provide a, a sense of assurance, at least a little bit. That, you know, this is uh, they're not going to lose their their seats anytime soon. Now, let's see if we can bring in the heir apparent and make them really seem like the next reasonable choice. I mean, Trudeau has said that his intention is to be uh, the leader of the Liberal Party uh, for until and, and through the next election. Mm. But I think he has to say that, of course. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> at, you for him to have just made a four year deal. And, and the, you know, uh, and effectively three and a half years before the next election, four years before the next election, come out and say, you know, I'm not going to run again. That's going to make him look like a lame duck. Right. And yeah. and, and all of that. Um, I think that I think there is a strong chance that he doesn't run next time. I don't think he resigns super early. I think maybe what happens if he does resign and this deal remains solid Justin Trudeau will probably leave in like 2023, mm. giving Freeland or whoever, like giving the, the liberals enough time to do their leadership confer, uh, conference, let that person become prime minister and then, you know, uh, run as as prime minister. Similar to what Pearson did effectively, Lester Pearson, where the he announced he would step down. The liberals had a leadership race. He stepped down. Uh, Pierre Trudeau became liberal leader. And then almost immediately, uh, you know, within a few weeks of that, he dissolved parliament, it was, which was a minority, and called an election, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's my, what, what, be, what you might see. If they're actually, the deal is strong, and it's like to go to the next vote, then the liberals can say, you know, we're, that's what we're going to do. Uh, and, you know, let's say it's a fall election again, the liberals will time it so that they select their new leader maybe in the spring of 2024. Although that's not a guarantee, right? Justin Trudeau might stick around. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not sure yet. Man, just all these possibilities. going. It does seem like that could be a winning strategy, really. Like it does. If you get to campaign already as prime minister, despite the fact that you, you know, haven't earned it the traditional sense, that's a uh, yeah, that's that's a big boon in the right direction. Um, do you want to go into it now? Why don't we, I, I got it right here. I got what is being shown. Yeah, um, yeah. We could t- right off the presses of the office of the prime minister press release here. It, it really is fascinating because I'm not as familiar with the inner workings of, of how this is being represented. But the basic premise is, of course, that this arrangement will last until parliament rises in June of 2025, allowing four budgets to be presented by the government during this time to ensure coordination on this arrangement both parties commit to a guiding principle of in quotes no surprises uh, both parties have agreed to uh, leaders meeting at least once per quarter regular house leaders meeting regular whip meetings monthly stock take meetings by oversight groups so it's just it's very fascinating this this new little caveat of what this means uh Let's get into actually what the NDP are getting out of this by saying that they're not going to push any sort of no confidence. So the the first heading is the idea of a better health care system. The launching of a new dental care program for low-income Canadians would start with under 12-year-olds in 2022, then expand to under 18-year-olds, seniors, and persons living with a disability in 2023, then full 
full implementation by 2025, the program will be restricted to families with an income of less than $90,000 annually, with no co-pays for anyone under $70,000 annually in income. Like, I'm not as familiar with what exactly Singh was running on uh, during the federal election, but in terms of identical care program, what do you think of this promise? That that's fairly close to what the yeah. NDP ran on, more or less. I I'd have to really go through with like a, a fine tooth comb and and look at it, but I, that that that's very similar to what the NDP ran on both in 2019 and in 2021. For example, even it was one of the things that the NDP brought up after I think the uh, the the most recent election, uh, uh, or sorry, after the right after the uh, 2019 election. Uh, the Liberals and Conservatives both proposed a tax cut as one of their main policies, if you remember, mm-hmm, um, yeah. <laughs> which 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 in in part went to um, to high earners, not necessarily the very, very wealthiest, but to people making, you know, above six figures, so you're making above 100. The NDP came with a counter proposal, which was to say the tax cut can go to um, anybody making under 90K. And in exchange, we could provide everybody under 90K with dental care mm-hmm. by simply canceling the portion of that tax cut that went to people making above $90,000 a year, you could actually give, uh, uh, you know, every, every family making under 90 K a year dental care. And I think the estimate was that it would help about, uh, 5 million, four to 6 million people. Um, now I don't know ex- how exact that is, but that was through the par- parliamentary budget office. There we there was also a study done. And this was the press progress uh, did uh, a report on this uh, a few months ago, I think, where there was a leaked report from Health Canada, um, from like from uh, policy analysts at Health Canada, saying that this NDP plan was more than feasible and would have major effects, positive effects on the dental health of so many Canadians, in particular, low-income and Indigenous Canadians, uh, who would mm. benefit the most from it because they have the greatest need for dental care. And, you know, uh, relatively modest investments um, can have major results. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good plan, uh, and it's likely easier to achieve than Pharmacare. One, it is means tested, which I think there there is is a major issue, and yeah. I think that maybe the, the NDP's goal for an yeah, income families, the NDP's goal, goal should in the have country. been, and maybe this is what they asked for: say let's start with uh, means testing, yeah, uh, to get it off the ground, and then and then effectively move into anybody who doesn't have workplace insurance, let's say, gets coverage, and yeah. if you uh, even if you do have workplace insurance, we'll cover what your uh, workplace insurance doesn't cover. Like, you know, something like that. I'm like, I'm just, I'm riffing here, mm-hmm. but like, you know, uh, uh, something of a universal plan. Um, but this is achievable more immediately because it's not really going to be integrated into say the Ontario or, or Newfoundland or Manitoba health systems. It's going to be like a federal plan to basically reimburse people when they go to the dentist. Um, and so um, that allows you to skip a lot of that 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 jurisdictional wrangling, mm-hmm. and so I think this is uh this is basically what the NDP ran on with regard to dental. So on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, it should be much more than this. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, would the NDP really be in a position without being the biggest party, without having a, 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 the Liberals having that razor thin of a majority or a minority, really be in a position to ask for more than what they ran on? Yeah. Right. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like if the NDP didn't, they ran on this, you know, somewhat means tested, limited program, it would be somewhat unrealistic to go in a, in a, in a, uh, you know, yeah. supply and confidence negotiation and say, you know, what we actually want is full universal dental <laughs> care weaved into the healthcare system. Um, the liberals are probably won't accept that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, again, maybe it's the liberals accepted it in part because again, it's clear their government was studying it. And, yeah. uh, or people in the in the civil service were studying it, and they agree with the NDP analysis that it's not a big amount of money for a huge benefit for the most marginalized Canadians. So, 
we'll go on to the next one quickly because then I'm going to answer a couple of our, our direct questions from Discord. Uh, the next one's a big one too. Continuing progress towards a universal national pharmacare program by passing a Canada Pharmacare Act by the end of 2023 and then tasking the National Drug Agency to develop a national formulary of essential medicines and bulk purchasing plan by the end of the agreement. So we have two questions from Discord that kind of deal with uh, both of these issues. The first First one was from Justin. Your thoughts on the Pharmacare aspect of the Liberal NDP plan? Does the passing of Pharmacare Act mean the Pharmacare will be a reality by the end of 2033, or is it something people could opt? Or provinces, excuse me, could opt in and out of the language there? And then this is from Arugula, and it's kind of the same thing. What do you think the odds are? And maybe we'll do that first. That this deal will actually pan out in 2025 with both the pharma that I just mentioned and the dental plans being delivered as planned in the time frame presented. I mean, I think that the dental one is probably easier. And I mean, you can even tell. Well, because if you look here, they put it at the top of the list for one. Maybe that's because they're most confident (laughs) in it. They give stronger dates. They give more dates. They say 12-year-olds under under 12s, 2022. uh, Then all children... Uh, seniors and people with disabilities in 2023, then full inflammation. So you got you get more steps there mm-hmm. to be like, okay, once they work it in for 12 year olds and then 18 year olds, you're going to get a good sense that it's probably going to happen. The dental, this one, the, the language is stronger. It says launching a new dental care program for low income Canadians, period. The second point, continuing progress towards a universal pharmacare program. That's not as good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe it's because the liberals are under their fantasy that they were already starting this push towards universal pharmacare, which they didn't. There wasn't even a single dollar for it in the last budget. You know, this will be a good sense. Is there actually money in this first budget? Because there's a budget coming up soon, probably, right? Mm-hmm. There'll be a yeah. budget coming out sometime in the next month or two. Normally, they come out in March, but probably in part because of this deal and COVID and all of that, that there might be delayed. Uh If we see, you know, a substantial amount of money in the budget for Pharmacare, then there's a good chance that they're at least starting the process, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's... That's a that's a good thing. Like again, in the last election, we could say the liberals, oh, we we were doing pharmacare, but there wasn't a line in the budget for pharmacare, so they were clearly they were clearly like lying, right? Like you could look at their 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 proposed budget for the for the for the campaign, and they don't see pharmacare in there because they weren't running on it. Um, but I do think that you know we get a sense here: passing a Canadian Pharmacare Act by the end of 2023, and then tasking the National Drug Agency to develop a national formulary of essential medicines and bulk purchasing plans by the end of the agreement. So that's one challenge there. You pass the act by the end of 2023, gives you about a year and a, a three quarters to get it done. Um, but by the end of the agreement, you almost worry: uh, does do the Liberals pull the plug early? Mm. Um, you know, it, it, is this? Does it get, is it, is it implemented after the next election type thing, Uh, which means that the liberals can run on it again, uh, or the NDP can run on it again, to be fair. But, uh, does that risk a conservative government just scrapping it right before the, the, you know, the, the, the finish line, sort of like how the $15 minimum wage didn't technically get finished because when Ford came in, they, 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 they canceled the, the, the last scheduled wage increase right and yeah, so the last buck yeah. yeah and so we we got stuck below 15 for for a few years right so the reality is that um i think there's a chance mm-hmm. the fact that this is written down with some dates increases my confidence that something will get done but and and sorry and it gives me a a, a sense that we'll know if some fuckery is going on a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, no, like, that makes sense, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It's not just like, it's all gonna all just happen by 2024, 2025. There are some dates that give us some time here. So, um, you know, a lot of this is 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 very wishy-washy. It says tabling a safe long-term care act to ensure that seniors are guaranteed the care they deserve no matter where they live. That's great, but what does that mean? Like mm-hmm. the NDP is gonna say that means... Um, you know, basically nationalization uh, of 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 
uh, long-term long-term care, care yeah. <laughs> and and the end of the pro- or at the very least, you know, the end of the profit motive in long-term care and making it uh, part of part of the the Medicare system. It, you know, at least that that would be the the medium-term goal. Um, the liberals might disagree. I think they'd be quite confident they would disagree. Maybe they'd be willing to put more money in it. Uh, maybe they'd be willing to, uh, you know, uh, open up more facilities that were public. But I don't think they would challenge the existence of public, of private long-term care, for example, yeah. right? Maybe more regulation, more oversight, et cetera, but not, not uh, you know, full, fully public. Yeah, there's a lot uh, of so, like that, too. Like, even in the, the yeah. point before that we will work with the provinces and territories to determine how together we can deliver better health care outcomes for Canadians, including yeah. more primary care doctors, nurses, mental health I mean, health that support. one, to be fair, is like, you know, to be fair, and this is what you noted here, when you are dealing with the provinces, like, I mean, that's the reality, right? The liberals can say we want to do national child care. The NDP did as well. And most provinces have signed on. But, like, if Doug Ford or whoever is like, I don't want to do it, then you are sort of constrained, right? Like you have carrots and sometimes you have sticks, but it is fair to say, even in a good faith deal, that, uh, you know, if if you're going to try to reform healthcare, um, you know, we're not, you know, the liberals love to jurisdiction, cry jurisdiction all the time, but it is a real reality in some cases. Um, And so uh, you have to say that, right? Like you have to be clear. This is why the dental care is also different. It it does not it does not require the mm-hmm. same um, it does not require the same level of provincial buy-in. At least that's my understanding of the yeah. deal. It's so it's the more dental, yeah yeah. So the the dental care plan you think much more likely the uh, pharmacare a little bit wishy-washy. But I do like the idea that once some of these dates that are being mentioned in this agreement go past, and if we haven't seen you know the outcomes that you want as a progressive. You know, now is an opportunity to to put on a little bit of that pressure and it'll give you a sense, you know, is this actually going to be a plan that will benefit Canadians? If you see anything in this document that has a specific date in mind, I think that's a good barometer to tell you like, yeah, this is this is correct. Or as you said, just some fuckery going on here. Uh, yeah, let's look in making life more affordable for people. I don't know if there's anything that really jumps out at you here. There are some adjustments to uh, the Canadian housing benefits, the implementation of a home buyer's bill of rights, and tackling the financialization of the housing market is essential. And that needs to be done by, by 2023. But the language of it just seems so absolutely ambiguous yeah. that that could mean literally it could mean anything. anything. Yeah, it could mean anything from looking at maybe policies abused by home flippers, you know, maybe like, you know, people who like flip homes and uh, it could be like addressing some of those issues up to and including like literally like we're going to like nationalize all housing. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Of course we know that that's not going to happen, but you're right. Like when it says implementing a home buyer's bill of rights and tackling the financialization of the housing market by the end of 2023, I mean, by say tackling the financialization of the housing market could literally, you might say to yourself, the only way to do that is to uh, stop making housing an, an asset, an investment, quote unquote, and make it a commodity and make it something that's purely there to serve human needs. Which is um, a crazy and, thing to yeah, say. No, 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 of course not. Be what's required right now. Like, there, but, it, that, of, but that's yeah. not going to happen, right? Yeah. And let's be clear: the even the NDP, if they had a majority government, would not be like we're 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 like we're, we're taking people's home. Like, it just wouldn't happen. It's like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just not going to happen. Uh, and so, you know, it could just mean you know more public housing, uh, more uh, 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 maybe funding with cooperatives, more mm. uh, policies to encourage mixed zoning. Um, but all of this is, you're right, it, it's, that's very vague. Some of this isn't. Like it says, a $500 one-time top-up to the housing benefit, which will be renewed in coming years if cost of living challenges remain. And so some of these things are, are, are more, you know what I mean, are more yeah. set. But like in general, you're right. Like a lot of this is going to fundamentally come down to the fact that there's no specification and there's probably ideological disagreements between the liberals and the NDP or between the liberals, the NDP and just regular Canadians about what tackling the financialization of the housing market actually mm-hmm. means. Right. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. what that really actually honest to goodness means. Yeah, this is one of the areas that as opposed to dental, where I do think, you know, that I, I have a lot of confidence that we will get 
almost everything that's being said in the dental care plan and then maybe even a lot of what's in the pharma care plan plan the crisis that our housing market is being is facing in uh, North America is monumental and it's just not a reality for the generation of listeners that are probably listening to our voices right now and like all of these answers that I'm seeing here that are the most progressive implementation that is the most uh, practical, the things that will might actually get done. You know, I, I just, it's upsetting that the language doesn't have the same sort of specific timelines. You know, it's really good. The, the, the one point here, the refocusing the rental construction financing initiative on affordable units under 80% AMR and use 80% AMR or below as a definition of affordable housing is essential. Like That's how you make uh, affordable housing work in certain communities. But the idea that you're just going to refocus on that is a little more upsetting. Maybe it is like you said, you know, they could only push so far and the things they chose to push on are at the top of the page. But yeah, uh, yeah it's it's hard not to be a little bit gutted from that because it's just such an ongoing crisis. But I guess we should talk about climate change. I wonder if we'll feel the same way about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so just quickly, uh, advancing measures to achieve significant emission reductions by 2030. Again, that's a little bit uh, interesting language there, but it is compared to 2005 levels, continuing to identify ways to further accelerate the trajectory to achieve net zero emissions no later than 2050. So even there, ways to further accelerate the trajectory. Yeah. Like that, that's a lot of adjectives putting you in a place that you yeah. could basically mean that could be anything, right? Yeah. Like a lot of this is oh. because probably they haven't done all the negotiation yet. And you actually got to write the legislation. Like you got to write the, the, the yeah. bill, right? You know what I mean? Like that's a thing. But like, man, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not, they're not, they're saying a whole lot without saying a whole lot. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so again, some of these things, they, they a clean jobs training center, they they developing a plan to phase out public financing of the fossil fuel sectors, including early moves in 2022. That's kind of good. Um, you know, the NDP ran on canceling public like uh, subsidies to, to fossil fuel companies. Liberals didn't as much, although I think they did gesture to it. Um, and so that's good. But um, we, we don't know what that means. I think in general here. 2050 is not it's 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 no, it's not ambitious enough right yeah like you know it's not ambitious enough and i think a lot of people are saying that what this is showing us is that like we're in a situation where we are in a climate emergency and even if everything in here is actually good or fine and maybe 20 30 years ago would have actually been great it's like we need far more now and so the ndp and the liberals both of which because you know they've disagreed on a lot you know on on issues uh at times, obviously, but both of those parties have said, you know, uh, you know, we support, um, you know, challenging this climate emergency. And yet again, here we have uh, a thing that doesn't go nearly far enough. Like, even if you read this for the most generous, I don't think it goes far enough. Like you can read some of the other policies and say and read them the most charitably and actually be quite, quite happy. With this, not nearly as much, I don't think. Yeah, like, um, yeah. Krista, where's any of Nikki Ashton stuff that we featured last week? Yeah. Like, th this would yeah. be a great Well, and these are big questions, right? Because, I mean, the liberals are still going to have their own priorities. And on confidence motions, the NDP are going to have to vote for that. So does this challenge that liberal plan to partially privatize via rail? Does the NDP mm. challenge this? One thing to note here. Uh, and I'm not saying to suggest to, to expect any more great things. I don't think any major decisions beyond this will necessarily happen. But it says the parties agree to prioritize the following actions while continuing to work on other possible shared priorities through the oversight group. So it could be well, it could well be the case that, you know, they've had they have discussions on, on transit. They have discussions on public ownership. Um, yeah. But right now, um yeah, I, I, that doesn't seem to be made a priority, uh, uh, public ownership. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, like you said, and that does make sense in the way yeah. that, like, they have to deal with things that are kind of ongoing that have been mentioned yeah. and uh, are kind of already on the table or in the ether, so to speak. So, yeah, th this is the language that has that. But it's just odd when you go from the specific 
great language for a program that could be more ambitious, Delta and dental and pharmacare, to the ex- uh, existential disaster that is climate change. And you just have some, you know, some long goals and some idea of clean jobs training. Like it, it is absolutely uh, not enough. We're running a yeah. little late on time here. So just and, and what is already uh, left here, Christo, what is the one other thing you think is worth talking about? They have a better deal for workers. I don't think there's anything too uh, promising in reconciliation. It just like, uh, yeah, the reconciliation stuff. I think both parties wanted to include something. Frankly, it's not enough. It's not yeah. enough. Like they talk about indigenous housing, which is good. And they, and, and critically here, they say it'll be up to first nations in UN and Métis communities to determine how investments are designed and delivered, which is big. It's not just going to be totally paternalistic. Uh, you know, I think that's good. Um, what but, about the scab legislation? Yeah, that's this, what is, I this is what I want to talk Yeah, so I want to okay. talk about one just quickly. I know a lot of people are mad electoral reform isn't in here. I am as well. It likely wouldn't have happened for two key reasons. Really, uh, two yeah, two major key reasons. One, liberals don't want to do it. They've already burned the political capital of running on it and just not doing it even when they had a majority. They're not going to do it in a minority. Um, uh, and, and critically, uh, some people made really good points on social media that when you make deals like this, the NDP has to prioritize things that one, they feel they can get and two Canadians will be pissed about when they don't get it. And yeah. a lot of us politicos care about electoral reform, uh, but I don't think it's nearly as important to people as as, as dental care or pharmacare. So mm-hmm. I think like that was a, a priority. But this is big. We we talked about it on, the, on this podcast. All of the, the shenanigans in the last election, the key failures of of uh of elections canada uh people waiting hours in lines at one polling station while others in uh, 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 you know just down the block had at uh, five minutes waits you know what i mean things like that yeah. this will expand how many days you can vote three days of voting allow people to vote at polling stations in their district or uh, any of them so you don't have to just go to your specific one if it doesn't make sense for you improving access to mail-in ballots uh and stuff about quebec's house of Commons stuff this is all great um, but yeah, anti-scab legislation is good. This is something the NDP has supported. There's no, uh, uh, sorry, there, with all of that move towards making democracy work for people, there's no word about making the election day a holiday, though. The one thing no. that could really push people, no. No, we you're still right. don't have that. No, that's Fuck. a good point. And, th- and, that would be, and that would be good, although it, it could well be the case that with three days, it could be pla- it make it easier for people to have one yeah. of those days. Still pretty big. Yeah. Still yeah. pretty big move, yeah. Yeah. Um, the anti-scab legislation is quite good to see. Um, the paid sick leave is also in that category, but that was that was going to be done. The NDP and the Liberals both ran on it. I think that probably would have got done regardless. But uh, by the end of 2023, prohibit the use of uh, scabs when a union employer in a federally uh, regulated industry has locked out employees or is in a strike. Now, this is good for a couple reasons. The Liberals did hint at maybe implementing uh, anti-scab legislation in their last platform. But the NDPs ran on it for, for decades, probably. Uh, and critically, the Liberals were only say would only support anti-scab legislation in lockouts, which is to say that if workers went on strike, they were fine with employers hiring scabs. Scabs would only be prohibited by the original Liberal deal in cases where there was a lockout, right? Where the employer called the strike, basically. This mm-hmm. says that in any case... Uh, you will not be allowed to use scabs in a federally regulated industry, whether it's a strike or a lockout, which is the NDP position. This is good to see. Now, most workers, of course, are provincially regulated, but hopefully this does spur action by provincial gov- uh, provincial governments to do the same. And of course, there are a great deal of of uh, federal workers that, that you know, um, will benefit from this. It's good to see. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So it is some, but it's it's interesting just that move, considering what yeah. Trudeau and the federal liberals like to do with uh, workers' unions, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh man. So anyway, I mean, so, like, I guess, like, if I could wrap up, like, I mean, yeah, my please. my view is that, like, you know, I saw the deal last night, but we didn't get the the details till this morning, or more accurately, we're recording this Tuesday night. We saw the deal Monday night, and we got the details Tuesday morning, and um, you know, I'm more optimistic after reading it. I'm more mm-hmm. optimistic after reading it. I still have concerns, but ultimately I do see the potential here for a deal that's going to help a lot of Canadians. Like yeah. a lot of people could benefit a lot like uh, substantively here. You're thinking about a low-income person who maybe by the end of this term, uh, now all of a sudden can get their teeth fixed and get the medicine they need. 
uh, and maybe also have, uh, you know, a better access to housing, uh, can now uh, exercise their right to vote easier as a shift worker. These are meaningful changes for a lot of people. And so I don't think we should discount that, um, the value of that, even if it's not nearly enough. Yeah. And, and just to, again, my little wrap up on this, the idea, and you're hearing this a lot from our listeners and a lot of the leftists here in Canada, the idea that if something isn't big and bold, it's bad, I think is something that we do have to shy away from. With the system that we have right now, we do have an agreement that the system needs to change, that with the electoral system we have right now, making those big, bold moves is sometimes nigh impossible unless you have different people in charge. That doesn't mean that when you do have these small victories that could potentially lead to real change for real Canadians, that they are enough so therefore they aren't worth celebrating i just think with what we have right now you can't do that because then you will never move forward and i think you're discounting the very real effect that this could have to help canadians and if that can happen even like a little bit we all acknowledge this is not enough our system is fucked up it's kind of a shame that they have to go through that real progressives have to go through these uh these and circles jump through these hoops to get things that are even remotely helpful to those Canadians, but it is helping people or it will. And as long as that happens, you know, I, I think it's worth celebrating. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on this. And obviously this will be something obviously we follow as we get more details and just we'll, we'll keep track of this deal as it happens. And, and as it notes, there's going to be periodic meetings. There may be further things that come out of this cooperation. It's, it's an interesting time. It's an interesting Absolutely. time. And if, at the I, very I least, we get to see uh, conservatives huff just record amounts of copium, which is pretty nice. 